taste for this dedication service. So following uh, this dedication, there were there were some interesting things that had happened. There was a man by the name of Simon that was led by the Holy Spirit of the Lord that uh, God had spoke to before Jesus ever coming in to the temple that he was not going to see death until he seen the salvation of the Lord. And there were some interesting uh, comments that he had made that we're going to look at here in a few minutes about who Jesus was, and he also gave uh, a blessing to his mother and father following this, Anna the prophetess that had been in the temple since the death of her husband. They were married seven years, and the Bible said that she dedicated herself to the Lord in the temple of the Lord and was over 80 years old uh, when Mary and Joseph had brought Jesus into the temple. Uh, following these events, Jesus is now 12 years old at the end of chapter 2. And they are back in Jerusalem as they have come uh, in to perform their religious ceremonies. And in verse 51, we find Jesus in a temple. Sorry, in verse 49, we find that Jesus is speaking to a group of religious leaders at this time. He's asking questions. They're asking him questions. He's answering them. And at 12 years old, there was such wisdom that was coming from his lips that just amazed all of those around him. And we know uh, Mary and Joseph have been looking for Jesus for a period of time because, see, they had already come into Jerusalem for their activities and had went home and noticed that Jesus wasn't with him. So they come back in and they're looking frantically for their son and they find him in this temple. And this is where the context of uh, our message is going to be this morning. When they find him, they come in and they're listening. They find him around these this group of religious leaders asking questions, answering questions, and they're talking about the deep things of God. And they ask him, they say, uh, in, verse, in verse 48, I'm going to start in the NLT, he says, his parents didn't know what to think when they come into the temple and they found their son. And his mother said to him, Why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. And Jesus answers him. He says, But why did you need to search? He asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Then they returned to Nazareth, and with them, and he with them, and he was obedient to them. And his mother stored all of these things in her heart. In verse 52, the scripture says that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all people. I want to focus the message this morning on verse 51, the second part where the scripture tells us that the Mary, uh, mother of Jesus, stored these things in her heart. We're going to look today at what these stored things was that she kept and why the scripture would put that Mary stored these things in her heart. I believe everything that we read in the Bible was wrote for us today for us to bring an application for our life. And this is the only time in God's word that I have found where, where there was someone uh, that, had, that had come in and, and had heard the voice of the Lord. And as, as they're hearing in this word is descended upon them, that very specifically in the word says that these things were stored in the heart of this individual. And I found some interesting things 
that I wanted to share with you this morning that's been encouraging me this week on the stored things of God that Mary had kept in her heart. And I want to share with you first of what stored means. If you're a King James Version this morning, it'll say the word kept. But it's the same as the word stored. This word comes from a Greek word uh, that is dietero, which means to thoroughly keep, to ensure final safety, staying intact for successful final delivery. That's the Strong's definition of keep. So what is it that Mary had put down in her heart uh, the beginning of the Strong's, it says that it intensifies through time. See, there was something that was intensifying in her from this moment forward that she, she kept protected, that uh, there was a time in her life when, when these things that was kept stored, see, they were stored for a purpose, that she seen a final delivery, that she seen evidence of the things that she had kept in her actually come to fruition in her life. And I, I want to share with you some scripture out of uh, Luke chapter 2 verse 49. And this is where Simon, and you can read through this uh, at your own leisure, this story, all of chapter 1 and 2 leading up to the beginning of chapter 3, uh, where Simon identifies Jesus as son of the most high. In Luke chapter 2:38, Anna, uh, Anna had also authenticated Jesus as the Son of God and who He was to the world. In Luke chapter 2, 29-35, He has declared the salvation to all people. Uh, he is God's light to reveal God to the nations. And, and Luke 1, 30-37 is when Gabriel comes and actually talks to Mary personally, a messenger from God, and says, look, you're about to have a child. And she says, I've never even known a man. How am I about to have a child? And the Holy Spirit tells her that, that or the, Gabriel tells her, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. He's going to overshadow you. And you are going to be with child. And he's going to be born. And you are going to call him Jesus. And in, in a verse uh, 137, uh, chapter 137, he says, For nothing is impossible with God. And these things that Mary has witnessed from the time of her pregnancy up until the time Jesus is now 12 years old, she's got all of these things that's running through her mind. She, she'd heard, she'd already seen a first part of prophecy fulfilled, which was in her own womb, that she did become a child. She did have a son. They did name him Jesus, even though she didn't know a man. And now, as she's been watching Jesus start to grow, and he's, the Bible says twice in Luke 1 through 2 that Jesus growed in not only his health, but he growed in his spirit. See, but there is something that was very unique about Jesus because he's the Son of God. And at the end of verse of chapter 2, uh, he gives us a little more. He says, and it's never been said of any other man except Jesus uh, that this could be true. Of. He says, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and people. See, at even a young age, 12 years old, he had this favor that rested upon him. 
that gave him, I, I just try to picture in my mind what it looked like to be around Jesus as a young boy, her, his mother and father watching him grow to see he was a man that knew no sin. He was a man that had the favor of God upon him even from a child. And the way he talked was different. How he thought about things, his intellect would have been so much different than ours. How he perceived things. See, even up until the time we find him at the temple, 12 years old, he's still just a young boy. He's talked with Bible scholars that were probably in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s that had walked with the Lord their whole life, that had the Torah memorized, books of the Bible. They've been teaching the Bible their whole life. And here's a 12-year-old boy answering spiritual, biblical questions as they see something that's so unique about him. They're asking him questions. A 12-year-old kid sitting on the front row. I think that things that's coming out of his mouth are so profound. It's impacting their heart. And you see, uh, I want to share this uh, one passage with you here in, in Luke chapter 2 uh, where he says, Simon is talking to Mary and Joseph in the temple. And in verse 35, he goes on at the end. This is after he puts his hand of blessing upon them. See, and now he's already given uh, this great insight on who the Lord is. In verse 29, he says, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace of you, as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. It says Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simon blessed them, and now he's talking to Mary and Joseph specifically. He's given a message to these people that they couldn't really understand, and it's really to Mary more so than Joseph. Uh, and he's, he says, this child, Mary, Joseph, says it's destined to cause many in Israel to fall. But he will be a joy to many others. For he has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. Now, as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword is going to pierce your heart, Mary. And I couldn't imagine what was going through her mind as she thinks, a sword is going to pierce in my heart. My son, this, this little baby that she's holding in her arms, that he's going to make many people fall and stumble. He's going to bring down a, a, a government system, so to speak. But there's going to be joy that's brought to many others and revealed that hearts are going to be revealed. The intent of hearts are going to be revealed. A sword's going to pierce my soul. She couldn't understand or comprehend what the message was to her at this time. But see, these things she put down inside of her. So there's something interesting thing we can learn about the life of, of Mary is when she received the word from the Lord, whether she could understand it or not, she had this faith that was intact inside of her soul that was, that was so strong that it kept this woman through the whole process of God's word that we read from the time she surfaces at the beginning of Matthew until we read some interesting events that happened along the way of Jesus' life till she's standing at the foot of the cross one day. See, 
Because this faith had been put down inside of her. She, 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 uh, the, the words of the Lord, it, it meant something to her. See, she, she kept them not with just a pushing down and pull back up in the remembrance here and there along the way. No, see, she, this, this faith intensified in her as Jesus growed, as she watched things happen in his life. These things were coming back to her mind. And I'm sure as they were, they were running across her mind, 12 years old, now he's in the temple, and these men are opening their hearts to him. I'm sure that there was something of the words of Simon that come to her mind of the intents of the heart's going to be revealed of God's people. And here he is at 12 years old. She's witnessing these things right before her very eyes. How could this be? And she goes back and reaccounts, I believe in her mind, the voice of Gabriel in 137 where he says, look, there's nothing that is impossible with God, Mary. See, this is something that Mary would have kept through all of the different emotions that she felt, from this point forward, she watches her son come in and out of a, of, of a place in life that her and her husband, all of those around them, oh, they couldn't understand. He's, he's performing ministry even before he steps at 30 years old and he steps onto the platform and he paves the way for the cross. There were things that were happening in Jesus' life before his 30-year-old mark that, that pointed him to who that God said that he already was. See, there was ways that I believe that he probably counseled with people as questions were brought to him in the community as he was working as a carpenter in his father's shop. There, there were things that they seen. There were words that they that they heard come out of his mouth that just took them back. They they had no they had no answer for where these things come from. See, but everything that Jesus said, they would have been able to see a result. There was something about these people in the community that they seen of the life of Christ that for one helped him in this process as he turns 30 years old and he paves the way for the cross, that when he come onto the scene, I don't believe it was any surprise to some. As, as he comes out, see, that's when he's, when he's pulling the 12 disciples and, and, you know, these men have been hearing him for a process of time. He'd obviously already been speaking in the temple because when he come back out of the wilderness, what happens? He walks in the temple. They hand him a scroll. But what's that mean? He's been teaching the Word. Before 30 years old, he'd been standing up because he had a voice of compassion. His intellect was not like the human uh, understanding the things that he pulled out of God's Word. The revelation that he brought from God's Word touched people's heart. They were gravitated to him because of that revelation. So they just hand him the Scripture as he... Walks in, I'm sure they're just like, there's Jesus. They can't wait to hear Jesus read from the Scripture and explain the Word of God. And here they just hand him. He finds himself in the Scripture. And we all know the story of where he starts off from that moment. He then goes out in his whole life now. Is, there's no carpenter. There's no, there's no mixture of other things. Now his purpose is is being brought in and narrowed down because it was the Lord's timing. And Mary's watching all of these 
things and she had probably heard she's she's read she's running through through her mind about this piercing sword and how there's going to be all of this pain but there's going to be joy at the same time and as she experiences her son begin to grow i believe that the final delivery that that she that she experienced was that of herself and i believe that in this passage we can pull two things out. What's stored and kept? The answer is faith. For successful and final delivery of what? Of ourself. And I want to share with you a few scriptures of, where, of, of what the Lord has been bringing to my mind when it comes and it relates to me. And I believe we can draw encouragement from the body of Christ. See, in John 19, 25 through 27 is I believe a pivotal moment in time for the life of Mary because this is the scripture where she's standing at the foot of the cross and her son is now nailed. For three years she'd been hearing him profess things that she'd never heard before up until this time. See, he, she had heard him talk about this death that he was about to experience and now she's standing as a witness. But because of past things that she had experienced that God had allowed her of, of her faith to witness a fruit of the virgin birth, different things that have been spoken over their life and the life of their son that she actually seen happen and come to pass. Now she's standing at the foot of the cross in John 19, 25. Jesus is hanging there and she's standing there with her sister Mary and Jesus looks down out over the crowd and he, she's, and he finds his mother and then he looks upon the one whom he loved and then he says, now, son, basically, disciple, Mary, here, behold your mother, Jesus. And I thought that was so interesting because right after this, he then asked for the sponge of vinegar of that sour taste and he puts it to his lips and then he gives up his spirit and he says that it is finished. Jesus. And a great earthquake comes upon the world. Rocks are falling from the mountains. There's people that's rising up out of the tombs and walking the streets of Jerusalem. There's prophecy. There's all these things happening. Mary, his mother, is standing watching all of this unfold right before her very eyes. And see, she would have never been able to come to this place had she not had a belief system inside of her that her son was who the Lord said that he was, that Gabriel was right, that Simon, that the prophetess Anna was right. All of these things that she had heard, see, she kept them so closely inside of her mind. She kept them for a purpose. This faith was stored for purpose. See, it gave her the ability to stand, to position herself in life, to be able to experience the best of God. It gave her this, this faith that was stored down, that was kept, that was put in place, that intensified through the process of time for the purpose of her seeing it arrive safely to its final resting place. See, and the Lord gave her the ability to be able to witness these things in Acts chapter 2. Mary is now part of the 120 that's in the upper room as the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit 
comes upon God's people, see, and he rests upon them like, like fire, like, like uh, tongues of clothing fire, the scripture says, and then they're prophesying, they're, they're speaking in tongues, there's these, there's these great events that's happening that's historic for the church, and it's the promise from John 14 and 15, as Mary has heard, see, and the believers, the, the apostles at that time had heard Jesus talk about the promise of the great comforter that was going to come. But he wasn't going to come unless he went away. And now she sees another thing, see, coming up out of her bells and out of, out of her stomach, see, like the message from last week, the rivers of living water that flows from our bowels, John 7, 37, right? That's, where, that's what he's talking about, that river of living water. It's water of faith. See, she had this stored so deep, there was so much of it inside of her that it just poured out. It gave Mary the ability to be able to position herself in Acts chapter 2 to come into an experience of God like the world had never seen or experienced to that moment. And as I start to look into this scripture, I ask, Lord, okay, what, what is it then? In my life, are you asking me to keep? And he just keeps pouring over my mind and my spirit. It's the same that Mary kept. It's the word. What do you believe? All things are possible with God. The scripture that we pour into our heart and our spirit. Of him going away to prepare a place for us in heaven and he says if it were not so I would not have told you and that I'm coming back for you I'm not just going to leave you here forever and this time is going to be short and we say well he hadn't come back in a lifetime of all these people but see God's time is not like our time because see there is no end to his time he's eternal so what we perceive to be such a huge magnitude of time is nothing to him because he says what one day is like a thousand years a thousand years is his one day and he says, there's so many scriptures that I've given you. Isaiah 40, 31, right? But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, right? They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and they shall not faint. He says, you keep these things deep down. If we're to be like Mary, if we're to have the experiences that we read about, some of these great people of faith, and Mary is not the only one. Why did they get to see and experience the things of God that we are praying for today? Why did Paul get to experience what he experienced? Why did Peter get to experience the things he got to experience? How? Why was it possible that the church was able to, to, to receive these things, that the people of the church? It's because of their faith. See? Hebrews 11, 6, he says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But he that comes to him must believe that he is who he says that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And I want you to now, you can turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to look a little bit about the keeping of our faith this morning. And what the Lord says about our faith and how important that it is 
to Him and to our daily life and the structure of our life. And it's so important that the experiences of our life come from this one word, faith. It's trust. All of your human experience is going to be based off from what that experience is, where it takes you, is going to be based off from your faith in the one who said it. Hey, so many people today have their, their faith, they have things stored inside of their heart that's not been placed there by God. They hold on to the words of their mothers and fathers, their grandparents, and what the world tells them life is, what it is to be a man, what it means to be a husband, what it means to be a father. And about the end of the world, when they die and they lay in their grave, that there's really nothing beyond this, that you do the best you can to be a good person, that, that, that that's the mark that, that we're trying to hit in life, It's just to be a good person. And, and we've got all of these stored thoughts that's been placed in our mind. You see, Mary would have had stored thoughts in her mind that was placed there from her mother, from her father, that was placed there from her grandparents, things that she had seen, things that she had learned. But you see, when the word of the Lord came to her, it brought a question and it shattered all of those thoughts. It shattered all of those preconceived ideas and and things started to line up to what God was speaking to her. See, same thing happened with every child of God that you read about from Genesis to Revelation. There was a, a, a preconceived idea of life that when the word of life, Jesus, come into their life, it shattered those thoughts of what life looks like to catapult them into a life of faith that's so foreign to the world. It's not something that is natural for man to obey God. It's not natural for a fallen man to obey in any area of our life, whether it would be from how that we handle our personal life and our time, as God says to be a good steward of our time, and that we're to devote our time to the Lord and for His purposes. That's not natural to man. You can't do that apart from the power of God because you can do it for so long and you will lose the ability to be able to adhere. Why? Because the power comes from faith. See, you can only go so far. Men work their whole life trying to accomplish and obtain something that's just going to be blown away at the end. But people have told them, this is what you do, son. You work by the sweat of your brow and you pour everything you have into this paycheck so you can build up things for those that's to come. So you build up things to leave your kids, your grandkids, and these, see, these things are brought in. But in that process, sometimes we lose our own self. We lose our own time. See, we live the majority of our life where our time hasn't been surrendered to God. But because we're striving after what Pappy said, Grandpappy said, this is how men have built their life. Right? And we're all part of it, right? We all have some, some part in this. And he says, it's not natural for a man to cut those things off and to close our ear to grandpappy, grandma, grandpa, who things, and, and the things that we see around us for the word of God to come in and say, son, when you put me first above your job, above your relationships, above your paycheck, 
that you can experience. He says, what? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all of these things will be added unto you. But we throw that scripture around that means nothing to us because people say those things, but they don't show it in their life. But yet they declare it. Don, Don, the kingdom of God first. Well, what have I seen you do your whole life? They're looking and they're peering in. When did I see this? When was God more than your paycheck? When was God more than your building yourself up in the company? When was God more than this for you? But we had to speak these things, see? And we haven't actually experienced it. So the experience level, the, the type of joy that comes from a life lent escapes us. Because we hadn't come into the fullness of, see? And we live below our potential in God. He says there's many other things. What about your marriage, you see? There's so many times that we get wrapped up because we can't hold to the context of what he says about marriage. We get tangled up with the wrong people. We keep relationships that's not ordained by God because of our own fleshly lust and it's not brought into the context of God's word. And we experience pain. We experience loss. We experience suffering because our carnal desire and our flesh overrides the truth of God's word that we can't take it upon faith. What about for our, our finances? Just little things. These are little things, church, that... There's so many. Oh, but he says that we're to honor God in our finances. Oh, what's what's it look like in our life? Can, are we able or can we do that? No, you can't do it without the power of God. You can't do these things unless you believe the end of what God said for you that you will be blessed. And he says to test the Lord. Test me, put me to the test is what he says. Honor me in your finances and see what I will do. And I will open up the store gates of heaven. Not just for, for financial blessing, but for spiritual blessing. He says, put me to the test to see these things. He says it's where Hebrews 11, 6 come in. You know that it's impossible to please God without faith. You can't manifest faith on your own. You can't just, there it is. God, I'm going to take it. No. Until you actually are connected to the one who gives the faith. See, faith is a gift. It's not born to you. You don't just sit around the church house and receive faith. You just don't sit in ministry and faith be poured over top of you and then it get inside of you. Because you lick your lips every once in a while. I get a taste of the faith now. It's a, no, no. I say these things because this is a serious matter and even... For my own life, because what we're about to read in Hebrews chapter 10, this is so important to God. See, our experience of God is hinged upon our level of relationship and faith of God. Jesus. I stand before you today, a 15-year drug addict that has been through just about any type of circumstance that you can throw. Family. Right? Uh, all types of sexual things, all types of fatherlessness, you know, money issues, drug issues, relationship issues, things that I still deal with today. 
And I only stand before you in somewhat of a place of victory because I have not reached the end. I can fail today. I could walk out that door today and turn my back on anything the Lord ever showed me and find myself in a crack house in Evansville with a needle stuck in my arm OD'd on somebody's couch somewhere this afternoon. If that's what I choose to do. If my faith in God, if I say, God, you know what? I'm not going to continue this direction because it's hard. The things that you spoke to me of, of, of me mounting up with the wing of an eagle, of me being able to persevere through a process of time and you giving me new strength if I just trust you as a bunch of hogwash. God, heck with it. I'm putting it in the garbage can because I'm not seeing it right here in front of me. You know what? Heck with this, man. I'm going to walk off my job. You know what? These people treat me like this. My boss treats me like this. You know what? I'm not honoring you in commitment. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to honor the Lord and, and that I work and do the best with my hand I possibly do and put you first. What's my testimony to those around me? Oh, I'm just going to go with my emotion now. Here we go, Lord. I'm going to do it my way. Into a place of, of destruction. And sometimes, church, we find ourselves in broken places that we were never destined to be in. As a child of God. Because it's so easy, unless we're connected to God, for us to lose the very things that we profess of God. And he says in Hebrews chapter 10, and I'm going to read in verse uh, Hebrews 10, 35 through 39. The writer of Hebrews is talking to the church body. This was a church body that was had experienced things in their lifetime that we can't even comprehend of suffering for their faith. See, this church had been thrown in prison. They'd been hot tire, thrown all over them in the middle of town square and burnt to death. They'd been set on fire. They'd been stoned to death. They'd had parts of their bodies cut off and mutilated for their faith. They'd been thrown in the Colosseums for animals to rip them to pieces in front of thousands of people because they professed Jesus. And now... Here's a word comes to these people. Could you imagine, before we even walk into this passage of Scripture, I want you to put into context the group of people that this letter is wrote to. These are people that were soldiers for the Lord. I'm talking. They were all of it in a bag of chips. They were walking faith like we can't even comprehend. That, that faith that I've never even touched before. Things that I wonder if I would even be able to manifest this much of if I was put in that situation. And here, God comes to these people with a letter that says, He says now, verse 35, You people of faith that have held to the things of God, to the truth of God, to the Word of God. And it has seen you through. You've had experiences of God. See, they've been, they had kept something. They had stored the Word deep down in their heart. And he says, now, do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. He's talking to a group of people 
that just seen their brother, sister, mother, or father ripped to shreds in a coliseum somewhere. They've just seen their son or their daughter hawk-tired or burnt to death in town square. And now here comes the word of the Lord. Could you imagine how insulting that would be? Could you feel the insult? Could, could you feel, I mean, in my, in my mind, I would be thinking, I just went through these things, could you, could you feel the anger that would maybe come up inside of a child of God that's like, do what? Hold up a minute. Do what? Don't lose my confidence. You're telling me, son? You know what I just experienced and went through? You know what my life has been? And you're going to tell me what? Don't lose my confidence. Well, I've got confidence you don't even know of. You know what I mean? That's what I'd be thinking. I've got, I've got things stored down inside of me. You can't even comprehend. And then here he said, you're going to tell me that I'm not going to lose my confidence? It's a prophetic word to a group of people for a specific time in their life. Not for now, but for things to come. See, this is what's amazing about the word. The word that come to Mary her whole life wasn't for now. It was never for now. It never happened that day. Everything that you read, it was for a period of time beyond where she was. So he says, remember the great reward it brings you. Now he tells them, here's what you need today. As I read this as a letter to myself, I haven't experienced all of these things that these people had experienced, but I've experienced some things of God. I've experienced some suffering of God. I've experienced and had to give up and sacrifice, and there's been things that I have laid down for God. There's been, and, and I can kind of, in a small way, begin to relate a little bit. He says, now, here's what you need. Patient endurance is what you need now. He says, so that you will continue to do God's will. Jesus. Then you will receive all that he has promised. Here's the promise. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. Jesus. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Jesus. When I read that passage of Scripture, it awakens me to a fact, a truth. Jesus. That as I peer into this, he says, Jeremiah, what you need now, boy, is endurance. Because right down the road, there's going to be another trial that's going to shake you to the core. 